Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, how to deal with bad interviewers. Chapter two, distracted interviewers. Here we go. One more chapter in our never-ending saga on how to deal <laughs> with bad interviews viewers. Yeah, remember when we first started this, we were going to do a podcast on all the bad interviewers all at once, and we realized there were too many types and too many subtleties, and we could talk for two hours or three hours and still not be done. Yeah, and by the time we're done with this topic, I'm sure we will. Yeah. But today we're going to talk about interviewers who are distracted, right? I mean, everyone has off days, and sometimes they fall on the day you're carrying out interviews. You know, I'm sure everybody listening here has had a day when it's all hitting the fan and the interviewees for that day are already on not the ready. Way, right? Yep. And interviewers are human. They fall down. They get distracted. And there you are. You're at the interview and it's clear that the interviewer is distracted. What are you going to do? Right. Exactly. And we have three recommendations. One, you've got to focus yourself. Two, you've got to include more metadata when you communicate to make it easy for them to see your communications in bite-sized chunks. And the third thing you've got to do, and this is a huge problem. I didn't, I just assumed everybody knew this, but this is a bad one. You cannot draw attention to the fact that they're distracted. Okay. You're not in control of it. And before we get into the, the, the recommendations, I just like to give you some clues to look for folks. A distracted interviewer is one who looks away. Okay. Who's not taking notes who's on his or her phone a lot, one who gets interrupted a bunch, one who is looking at things that you, you're certain are not related to the interview. They could be sales files, operations files. They could be spreadsheets, anything. They may just be rearranging things on their desk. They don't make eye contact with you. They say, mm-hmm, a lot without taking any notes. And there's never a follow-up question. Now, if you take just one of those things, guys, and you say, oh, I've got a distracted interviewer here. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not a good analysis. We're talking about a whole satchel full of those things. I've done every one of those things one at a time in almost every interview I've ever had as the interviewer. And I've interviewed thousands, tens of thousands of people probably. So it's not just one of those things, but it's a whole raft of them all together that gives you the impression, wow, this person's not paying attention. Now, it is possible, there's 1% possibility that somebody does all those things and is still a keen interviewer and it could happen. And so we have to assume that to some degree, and we have to make sure that the guidance we give you is not going to create a problem for you. If in fact you've misread the person and they're not a distracted interviewer. Now, everyone will say that they're actually doing a great job interviewing you because everyone thinks there are so many people in the world that think I'm a great interviewer. People think that simply because they've been interviewed all their life. Now they're an interviewer. They feel like they're in power and they can make a decision. And it's a totally their own decision. Yes or no, particularly if they're not the hiring manager. And so most people would say, Oh, I'm, you know, you saw all those things. It seems like I'm distracted, but I'm really not. I'm a good interviewer. And they're not, they're not. But I just wanted to give you some clues about things to look for. We'll mention some others in the course of the cast. But the first thing we recommend is focus yourself. Yeah. So the only way to deal with distraction is to remain as focused as you can, right? And the interviewer can be distracted, but that doesn't mean you can't be focused. Right. Look, they're looking outside the door. 
I got a glass door in HR to their to the office, their interview unit, and they're watching people walk back and forth outside the Glaston office you're in. And you have to focus on the interviewer, okay? Think of it this way. They're distracted. You have less of their attention. You must be that much better. If they're only going to give you 80% or, you know, God forbid, 50% of their attention, you have to give them twice as much greatness in that 50% of the attention. Now, the way we recommend people interview is exceptionally good at getting a lot of information across and you'll be as likable and as hireable as you can be. But this is not a time for you to relax and to say, this is a relaxed interview. I can take it easy. This is actually a time to double down and be more focused. Wait patiently, mentally speaking, for your interviewer to be ready and let nothing else outside of the, you know, nothing other than you and the interviewer exist and totally, totally stay focused. Look, I'll tell you a great way to do this. Assume they've got a legitimate business reason. Put yourself in their shoes. They just got told you got to cut your team by two by the end of the month. And they're told that they're not going to be given budgets for severance. And they're kind of in a daze and they're watching the world go by and they don't quite know what to do. And they know they want to interview and they've got an opening and they will hire somebody, but they've got a legitimate reason. Wendy once interviewed with a hiring manager from, from treasury, from the, um, from the British treasury office whose team was having trouble finding an account to put $100 million in. And just so you know, when you have that much money, not just any bank will take that much money. If the money didn't have an overnight, that's what it's called, having an overnight, a place to be overnight, by the middle of the day, there have been consequences in terms of how available cash is reported and how that compares to stock price and so on. And and it could actually affect the, the overnight stock price of the company. And so, she was legitimately distracted and it showed. Now, candidates in that situation have typically two reactions. Either they find it difficult to concentrate because she was finding it, the, the interviewers find it difficult to concentrate, or they focused and concentrated and recognized, I can't control that. Now, you can blame your plight on the world and say, I'm not getting a fair shake. No, you're not. You're really not. Although there's a small, small chance that you are, that they're not distracted. They just have a very disconnected way of listening to people. But believing they have a legitimate reason and letting them off the hook keeps you from developing patterns of frustration in your head about I'm getting screwed here because I'm not getting a fair interview. Okay. And look, if in fact the interviewer is distracted, but yet they still have an interest in interviewing you, and I would argue they do simply because they stayed in the interview, it's about you demonstrating your own ability to concentrate during times of stress. If one person being distracted in a room about something that's important and you immediately bail or lose focus or go, oh, this is going to be a great interview and you start mailing it in, you start losing focus, that's just not cool. It's just not professional. You've got one shot. They have all the cards. You have none. You're given less than a full deck, tough, and you deal with what you can. You know, look, you know, in baseball, if you're facing the best pitcher on the opposing team, you don't sit there wishing for the next day that you're going to play when you play somebody, some team not as good. 50 years ago, there was a team who's, I think it was the Cleveland Indians, and the, the statement was Spawn and Sane and Pray for Rain. And the, their two best pitchers were Warren Spawn and Johnny Sane. And Spawn and Sane were really good, like Koufax and Drysdale were in the 60s for the Dodgers, the greatest baseball team ever, and um, even better than, say, the Giants. And 
that was the joke on the, on the Indians, spawn insane and pray for rain, meaning we wanted spawn insane to pitch. And then we wanted our other two pitchers to be rained out and then spawn insane to have enough time to rest up to pitch again. Well, if you're batting against spawn, you're not wishing you were batting against the other guy. You're batting against spawn and it's impossible, nearly impossible to get a hit off him, but you're batting against him and you got to figure out how to make it work. You have to use all the tricks in your bag. And so to me, a distracted interviewer. Now, look, after the interview, I could say, wow, that's something I don't want to do. I'm going to say, okay, there's a lesson for me. How did that make me feel? How did that increase their chances of hiring me? Not good. And I'm not in control of anything. Heck, people sometimes don't like your suit, but they don't say it. So you're not in control. You're not in charge of them and the situation, but you are in control of the interview. And I got to tell you something, you have a, a distracted interviewer in the middle of the day and you don't stay focused and you lose your edge for the rest of the interviews, or you literally take one interview off. There's no one listening to us right now who could convince me that if they had five interviews and then the third one was a disaster because the, the interviewer was totally distracted, that the next two would have been as good as if the third one would have been good. You're just not. You're going to lose your focus. You're going to lose your concentration. If you're not careful, if, you, if you're not aware of this going in about how to handle the distracted interviewer, and you end up messing up the rest of the day. And look, if you have five interviews and one of them is distracted, you know, there's a good chance that they're going to say, look, guys, I really shouldn't have a vote today. I was totally around the corner thinking about the $100 million we had to put away, and I heard what he said, but yeah. And, you know, if I were the boss, we'd be like, okay, I understand why you're distracted. So the four of us, we're going to make a decision. No problem. But if you blow it, if you lose your, you lose your focus, and then that focus doesn't come back in your next two interviews, the other two interviews are the ones that are going to say no to you. But you play the cards you're dealt. You try to hit the pitches that are thrown to you. And that means absolutely staying focused, whether it's a pitch you want to hit or not. It's the spring of 2012 now. We've had an ongoing discussion in our newsletter lately about people's ability to concentrate in cube farms, in places where there are lots of cubicles. Folks continue to argue with us. Not argue, but but make the case and, and essentially say that we're wrong. And <laughs> that's mine and Wendy's definition of arguing with us. Well, you're wrong. They should be allowed to listen to music because listening to music for them aids their concentration. What that means, guys, and I'm sorry to have to tell you this, and I say this with the best of intentions, with a good heart, and I particularly aim it at some of the, the, the less experienced professionals, the younger ones, where you got to listen to music in school, which to be clear, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but for people 40 and older, the idea of being able to listen, and, listen to music in school, mind-boggling. I mean, that, that, that reminds me of the time I interviewed somebody with earbuds in, and I said, you don't take this out. And he, and he said, he looks right at me and says, no, I can hear with him just fine. Are you <laughs> kidding me? So what that means is that you haven't learned to concentrate in anything other than complete silence or with your music. By the way, I asked somebody once, I said, would you be okay with listening to somebody else's music? Oh no, it's my music. Oh man. So it's not the background noise. It's you want to listen to your music. That's what it is. And folks, you can learn to concentrate anywhere at any time with practice. And gosh, interviews are too important to say, I can't interview, I, I can't interview with a distracted interviewer. Okay. 
you can learn to concentrate anywhere at any time in the same way that Jack Reacher can sleep anywhere at any time and wake up whenever he wants thanks to his internal clock. It's just learned and practiced behavior. I'll give you another example. Drake and I watched uh, a couple of weeks ago, we caught the, the, the latter two-thirds of The Italian Job, the new version of The Italian Job that stars uh, Mark Wahlberg. And in it, I want to say the female lead is Charlize Theron, but I could be wrong. No, you're right. She's a safe cracker. It is. Okay, she's a safe cracker. And she has headphones on. And I I don't know how it comes up, but he asks her why she has headphones on. And she says, I'm playing ambient noise to get better at focusing at my job because that's what I'll have to deal with at the actual job. She was practicing. I mean, to me, that's genius. It's the exact opposite of having to have music in order to stay focused. So you've got to choose to stay focused. I was coaching somebody the other day and I said, see how long you can work on something before you start getting itchy. And he said, look, it takes me about three minutes. I said, okay, let's get it to four. And when you start to think about getting up, I want you to sit back down. And I said, if I were there with you, I would stand right over your shoulder. And the moment you started to get up, I put my hand on your shoulder and push you back down in the chair and say, stay with it. And you gradually learn to extend and expand and and get to 30 and 45 minutes in an hour, sitting still and working hard. That's the first thing you do when your interview is distracted, is you say, I'm a laser, I'm going to be focused, I'm going to look for clues, I'm going to answer the questions, I'm going to nail the questions as best I can. Uh, If they pause and there's not a question in front of you, don't try to take over the interview. Oh my gosh, don't do that. That's one of the cardinal sins of interviewing. Do your best. And you may not be getting a fair shake, and there's nothing you can do about it. All that you control is yourself. And make sure that the part that you do control yourself is letter perfect. That's how you do the first part anyway. Okay. Now, what, what do you mean? You said include more metadata. What do, you, what do you mean by that? And how does that help? I don't know. I don't know what metadata is. I'm just reading from a script. No, I'm kidding. Metadata is one of the one of my favorite things I ever learned about communication. And I learned it in, in a stupid way because I was told that what I was teaching some of my directs was metadata communication. And I said, what is that? And I, I should have known. I mean, it's, it's just a scientific phrase. Metadata is data about the data. And metadata about communicating sounds like this. If Mike asked me, Give me an example of a significant accomplishment, right? And I say, a significant accomplishment I'm proud of is blank. Let me give you a little bit of background. Now, the phrase, let me give you a little bit of background, is metadata, okay? The next paragraph is going to be background. In other words, you know I'm setting a stage. I'm going back in time. I'm not telling you a chronological, uh, this happened, and then this happened, and then, and then, and then, as we like to say, the dude wears my car, Chinese drive through analogy. Then the third part of the answer, I say, the way I attacked it took three major parts. I focused on A, B, and C. Let me talk about A first. And what I've just done is I've just given you metadata about how I'm going to tell you about A, B, and C. I'm not just going to string together a list of things that I did that has no rhyme or reason. I'm going to structure my answer. And that's what metadata is. And somebody asked me recently, uh, we got a great question Um Mike, in the, uh, in the licensee call, somebody asked, Mark, if I'm interviewing with a high D, should the manager tools, should the career tools guidance for three to five minute accomplishment or I think it was an accomplishment answer, should it be short? No, no, no. I think it was tell me about yourself. Should it be shortened for a high D because they probably want a one minute answer? And I said, no, absolutely not. 
And there were a number of reasons, partly because a one-minute answer irritates ID because they're not listening to your answer and they don't want to have to come up with follow-up questions. But the beauty of the way we structure answers at Career Tools is they almost always have metadata. There are three parts to your answer. So, well, you know, I was raised this way. I had three goals. I did this. And then I went to college. And here were my goals in college and so on. So the answer takes four minutes, three or four or five minutes, whether you're talking about tell me about yourself or significant accomplishment. But they're broken down into small parts, which you identify in advance. Okay. You can talk for five minutes and keep someone's attention perfectly simply by telling them what you're going to say, then telling them what you said, and then repeating it again. Although that's an over, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit there. What we're saying is if you have a structure to your answers and you make the structure clear, they'll be able to tolerate it and you'll get credit for stuff that they would have missed with somebody else when they're distracted because you gave them metadata. Metadata is basically the signal you send to indicate the structure of your answer, where you're going to go with it. It's not just for distracted interviewers, but it really, really helps. In fact, what you'll find is if you practice your answers, you're going to start having a tonal change when you change paragraphs or theme parts of your answer. If your answer has three parts, when you go to part two, their attention is going to come back focused on you because they're going to know one part is done and it's as if you're starting a new chapter as opposed to just you droning on for three or four minutes in a long string of this and then this and then this and then this. Right. Yeah. Like chapter marks in a book are a form of metadata, right? Yeah. It's a signal exactly. that something has changed. The scene's going to change the Something's changing about exactly. the, the structure of the book, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like this. I delivered a $4 million four-month installation project on time and on budget. To do that, I concentrated on three major things. Clarity of expectations up front, clarity of reporting, and daily roadblock resolution meetings. Okay? Let me take those one at a time. Now, I'm going to hear a minute worth on each of them. And I start out clarity of expectation, blah, 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 blah. That was clarity of expectation. My next area was clarity of reporting, blah, 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 blah. So that's clarity of reporting. The final area was daily roadblock resolution meetings, blah, 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 blah. To sum up, basically, it was, it was really just clarity on expectations, reporting, and the daily roadblock resolution meetings. And we got, on, we got done on time and on budget. Felt good. You don't tell a story. Don't say this happened and then this happened and then this happened. It's much harder for anyone to follow those type of answers, and it's impossible for the distracted person to follow. They dive into your answer for a second, and it's just kind of devoid of context. But if you give them context by the way you present it, and for some of you, I'll tell you the worst ones at this, the high C's of you, you tend to go monotone. You tend to, you tend to not modulate your voice. You don't tend to change your pace or your tonal or your pitch or your projection when you go from part one to part two to part three, it's all just data to you. And it's going to be even harder for you. A high eye will be able to change and go fast and go slow because they think of their voice as a weapon or a real tool that they can use to keep people's attention because that helps their ego to feel like they have other people's attention. And if you don't have metadata, it will be much easier for the interviewer to just slip away for longer periods of time. If you use metadata, what you try to do is group the same types of activities together. Rather than just saying a string of things that happened, think about it contextually, conceptually, and ask yourself, how could I group together all the things I did? They understand they didn't happen in that order. 
in the example we just mentioned, you'd talk about all the clarity of expectations information together at the beginning. It might be that you held a kickoff meeting, you had regular team meetings, you gave feedback when your expectations weren't met, you gave feedback when things went well. And so what you would do is you would say, in my clarity of expectations thing, I'm going to talk about three things, kickoff meetings, team meetings, and feedback. And you talk about each one of those. And then you'd say, so that concludes clarity of expectation. And then you go on to clarity of reporting and so on. That's how you do it. It's much easier to follow if you chunk it down, if you provide some metadata, if you say, if you picture your answer more like a college essay, introductory paragraph, three body paragraphs and conclusion, rather than one long stream of consciousness, which gets boring, which gets monotone and doesn't grab their attention periodically with a change in tone and change of pitch. Good. Now, talking about drawing attention, is it a good idea to show that you're observant? And if your interviewer is distracted, wouldn't it be a good idea to, to point that out? Just in terms of just being empathetic and say, hey, I, I see you're distracted. Maybe we ought to do this another time or something along those lines. What do you think about that? It just occurred to me, Mike, two things occurred to me. I think it's periodically good for us to say to everybody, Mike knows the answers to all these things. <laughs> he just plays a really good straight man. And I think that's important to say. The second thing to say is if we assume for a moment that was not true, wouldn't it be cool to splice together all the straight man questions you asked me over the last 600 or so shows, you know, 500, 600, however many shows there are, and it would just literally be Mike Ozan is not very smart. <laughs> There'd be a couple hundred of them, right? When I throw those lines out there every once in a while, I'm just like, God, it just pains uh, yeah. me to say it. Because I, I know there's some percentage of people going like, what? And guys, we know, we know that the average listener knows a great deal of what I'm saying, what we're saying. You do. We know you do. Some of you know it intellectually or have, have felt it, but maybe didn't have the courage to act on it. And hearing from us helps you act on it. And that's great. We're, we're happy for that. You don't need to learn it from us. If we were making you more effective, then that's what we want, whether you knew it in advance or not. But also, I think that everyone knows most of this stuff, but in any given cast, almost everyone doesn't know every single thing, Right. And it's helpful to ask a question because I can guarantee you 20 to 30, maybe even 50% of the people listening right now are going, should we reschedule, right? It's, it's totally professional. It's totally reasonable. If you're with your boss and your boss is totally distracted, it's completely reasonable to say, hey, boss, look, you're swamped. Let's reschedule. And the boss goes, yeah, okay, thanks. Great analogy bad analogy too. And the reason why is because you're coming back to work with your boss tomorrow, but interviews are perishable goods. Okay. You might think that asking, is this a bad time? Should we reschedule is polite and respectful? And it is, but it's grossly ineffective and we never would recommend you do it. Period. End of story. It does two things with the interviewer won't like. And one thing which would make it worse for you. First, it draws attention to the fact they're not doing a good job as an interview, right? As an interviewer, right? Anybody like being called out and not doing a good job? I didn't think so. No, don't do that. Two, it oversteps your boundaries. The interviewer has all the power in the room. Wendy and I have talked about this a hundred times about the interviewer having all the power. And we're just amazed. We email notes back and forth when we, we read articles that say, take charge of the interview. You know, if you get somebody who's not taking the right direction, go ahead, take charge. Tell them what you need to tell them. 
you know, slap your hand on the desk if you have to and get their attention and say, look, I need to cover three points with you. You need to know this because they'll give you credit for being bold. No, they won't. They'll kick you out for slapping their desk. They control the timing. They control the interview. You don't. Your role is to demonstrate how you shine when you're not in control. Now, could it make things worse? Well, yeah, it could. What if there's not a crisis that day and they're always this way? Remember, we told you that was possible. They say to you, yeah, you know what? Today's not a good day. Can you come back Friday? And you have to go through all the hassle of rescheduling and they're still distracted. You expect something different. Or you can't come back Friday. Yeah, Yeah, that's the whole thing. That's the worst thing. The logistics are just brutal in this situation. Yeah, and they have a deadline in terms of when they want to make an offer, and you find yourself on the outside looking in because you don't have an opportunity to come back. That happens all the time. Yeah. Look, in my mind, we don't have to go any further than they're going to know that you're judging them, and the chances are good that even if they have a legitimate reason for being distracted, they're going to be embarrassed that they're distracted and they didn't have the courage to cancel the interview and have somebody else take their place. And so what you're, what they're going to see your answer as 95% of the time or your statement as is judgment on their interviewing style. And they're not going to like it. And look, interviewing is hard enough. Let's not shoot ourselves in the face in the middle of the interview and hope everything will be okay. So don't draw attention to it. Stay focused. Use metadata, modulate your tone in order to be easy to listen to. And again, don't draw attention to it. That's it. And look, guys, we feel for you. You know, the next one of you that gets a really distracted interview, remember Mike and Wendy and I and Maggie and Danny and Kay and all of us are are with you in spirit. And we think they're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. And When you have no leverage, when you have no ability, no influence on the situation, it's best to leverage where you do have influence. And that's on your knowledge of yourself and delivering the best possible answers. And then recognize that sometimes good deeds get punished. And you were well prepared and you were probably a good candidate for the job. Look, if you're being interviewed, you can do the job. That's that's the nature of interviewing. And they're making a mistake. And you'll make one too someday. And you gotta forgive, you gotta forgive, and you gotta move on. Simple as that. Yeah, there you go. Wise advice. All right, my friend. Thank you. You bet, partner. Hey, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long, folks. <laughs>